Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. When two Division I athletes discuss the challenges and successes of navigating life after competing, you get conversations designed by athletes for athletes. I'm Don Sutton. And I'm Brooke Beerhouse, sharing with the athletic community stories and insights to better understand life when your sport ends. Hello and welcome to When Your Sport Ends here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Brooke Beerhouse and alongside me is my co-host Don Sutton for this week's episode of When Your Sport Ends. We are really excited to be bringing you an interview with Aubrey Wall this week. Aubrey has a timely and unique take on her relationship with triathlons, and it's an interview that we believe you are really going to get a lot out of. On this episode, we talk about being honest with yourself, even when you don't always want to hear the answer, body acceptance as an athlete and an overall human being, how there are many routes that lead to the same goal, and how to find your right route. We also talk about recovering from life altering eating disorders, and finding a healthy way to navigate transition periods in life. Aubrey was born in Auburn, California, and she moved to Bozeman, Montana with her family in 2006. Bozeman, Montana is where she currently resides. Aubrey swam as a synchronized swimmer for 13 years, during which she competed at the recreational club and collegiate level, only for her career to end following a life-altering eating disorder. Though she dove into the sport of long-distance triathlons following her recovery, and she raced at the elite level for five years, COVID has challenged her to take a step back and reevaluate her relationship with the sport. In her spare time, she enjoys drinking coffee, reading books, summoning mountains, riding bikes, and spending time with her fiancé JP and dogs Hank and Eddie. She also acts as an educator, advocate, and a coach, through her business, Training for Body Acceptance, and her podcast, Bodies in Motion, where she is helping flip the narrative around how we fuel, move, trust, and love our bodies. The links to get contacted with Aubrey will be at the bottom of this episode, so you can definitely look at that and reach out to her with any follow-up questions. So Aubrey and I allude to how we met in this episode, but we never actually say. So for the sake of setting the scene just a little bit, I met Aubrey in 2014 while we were both interning in Washington, D.C. We lived in the same apartment complex through a college program called the Washington Center. And every morning at 5.45 a.m., like clockwork, we would be the only two people working out in the weight room. After months of the typical awkward waving hello and then getting on with our workouts, we hit it off as friends, but we never really stayed in touch until recently, which social media is wonderful in that way, and we will get into that in this interview, and you'll hear about what post actually sparked us reigniting this conversation and relationship. But before we get into it, let's take a listen to our sponsor, betonline.ag. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are all in full swing. 
And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Honestly, I was skeptical whenever I first went on to place a bet, but I love the interface and the way that betonline.ag makes it really easy to place your bets and see what there is out there to bet on. So you can head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. The Facebook post really drew to me because you mentioned selling your triathlon bicycle. And I know how tough that that is in terms of getting the right gear when you're training and finding something that works for you. So your outlook on triathlons is really beautiful in this way, because just because you sold your triathlon bike doesn't mean that you're quitting. So do you want to talk a little bit about that mental journey and that process and what selling your, your bicycle really means? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I don't know, it's such a hard and nuanced conversation because what kind of like spurred me making that post was that I've had so, I had so many people reach out to me when I posted like, Hey, I'm selling my bike. I had so many people reach out to me and say things like, well, are you done with triathlon? Like, are you quitting triathlon? And just like so much, I felt a lot of external pressure around that identity that I had established for myself. And I think that that was like, such a hard space to navigate because, you know, I wanted to take this journey for myself, but I am a very public person. Like I share a lot of my stuff on social media. So I felt like it was an important thing to share because I'm sure that a lot of other people had, had gone through that decision-making process where they're, they're leaving a sport for no reason other than they feel like it's time for them to explore something different. Like you're not leaving cause you are injured or had an eating disorder or X, Y, Z thing. Like it was like solely just a decision made that I made for myself. And so you know, I was kind of forced into that decision to take a step back from triathlon because of COVID and there weren't any races anymore. And so at that point, you're kind of like, you know, it's a very race-based sport. So I was kind of forced to stop, not forced to stop training necessarily, but for me, I really jumped into triathlon immediately after recovering from my eating disorder. So I don't think I ever fully had the space to reassess what my relationship with movement actually is and what my relationship with sport actually is outside of that kind of more restrictive, like super type A perfectionist driven mentality. And so once COVID hit and I didn't have any races, I, I mean, I resisted for a long time because I wasn't really ready to do the work, but, um, yeah, it's been a journey for sure. I don't know if I fully answered your question. I feel like I kind of went on a tangent there, but we it's just have just a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that answer really does allow for us to, to add more and to unpack that answer itself because there's so many other avenues that I feel like you're opening up for discussion. So I'm really excited about getting into all of that. One question right off the bat that I had hearing you mention the difference within this COVID time and having had my own experience with an eating disorder, I know that stress can sort of bring me back into places that I don't want to go into, right? Like unhealthy Mm -hmm. thoughts and, and such. Did you 
have anything come up during this time with COVID and with races not being on the at the forefront, something to work towards? Did that come into your life at all? Um, yes and no, I would say. I think that I think that when you've had an eating disorder, those thoughts and that mental space comes back a lot easier than for people who haven't had an eating disorder. Um, and maybe you're just like athletically inclined, but I would say that it came back in ways that I didn't expect. Like I feel pretty secure in my relationship with food and like my eating and all of that. But when my sport was also taken from me, I was starting to have a lot of weird body image stuff come up around like, okay, well, if I'm not racing and I'm not training, you know, 10 to 20 hours every single week, if I'm not doing all of these things, how do I negotiate my relationship with my body and my relationship with food? And if my body changes, then am I going to be okay with that? And how do I navigate that space? Because I've always been such an athletic person that even when I'm training more or less, my body is more or less the same, you know? And like, I'm still a very active person, so I'm not out of sport necessarily, but like not being able to go out and do, you know, a 10 to 15 mile run any day of the week, like that is a totally different space to be in when you've been used to being so fit for so long. And then you're like, okay, well, is the, how is this still serving me? Is like a really important question. Oh, wow. um, and I think that, you know, I was on the path to becoming a professional triathlete and I don't know. I think that COVID gave me the time and the space to sit down and reflect on, am I still happy doing this? And like, are there some ulterior motives here still around why I'm moving in this way? Cause I mean, to be a successful triathlete, you have to train a lot. Like in yeah. peak training, you're training 15 to 25 hours a week. And like, you know, I think that maybe some of that was a way for me to mask some compulsive exercise habits that I had during my eating disorder. And then I just didn't really have to face the discomfort that came along with sitting still and not always being training and having that justification in the back of my head of like, I'm training this much so I can eat this rather than like, I just deserve to eat because I'm a whole person. And like, I don't need 20 hours of exercise every single week to justify my need for food, if that makes sense. So I would say that like the body image peace and body change peace came up more so than like in my relationship with food. Hmm. Yeah. Now you're, you're in Bozeman, Montana. One sounds like Amazing. a badass place. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It has, it has its good and its bad parts, but yeah. I, I do love it. I imagine people there are pretty outdoorsy though. So regardless and very active, I think, I, I mean, I'm just kind of fascinated by bringing it back and saying how you got into synchronized swimming because you are from Bozeman, Montana, correct? Was born in California, but I moved to Bozeman in 2006. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you, but circling back, you were in synchronized swimming Mm -hmm. and then you kind of had this brief period out of the sport, I imagine. 
where mm-hmm. you then found an ulterior way to just get your energy out or your exercise. And mm-hmm. COVID has really allowed you to, to have that time to reflect. Do you think without COVID, it would be a totally different path right now for you? And then how do you think it's different? How do you think it would be different this time compared to when you got out of synchronized swimming? Mm. That's a really interesting question. Um, I do think that without COVID, it would have been different. I think Mm -hmm. that I probably still would have been racing triathlon, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, I'm a very driven person. And when I set my mind to doing something, I usually follow through on it. Um, and you know, that obviously has its pros and its cons, but, um, I would say, you know, it's interesting because the reason I left synchronized swimming and the reason I left triathlon are similar, but they aren't the same. Right. So I left synchronized swimming because I was very, very sick. And I knew that if I continued to, if I went back to, um, the college I was at my freshman year and continued swimming in that environment, I would not get better. I would get significantly worse. And so it was a decision that I had to make for myself. And, you know, I left the synchronized swimming program and I was sick for many years after that. It wasn't like a, here we go. I'm going to get better now. It was like a, okay, this is the first step in the journey, but I wasn't really ready to face that yet. And I'm leaving triathlon because I think that reevaluating my relationship with sport and with movement is like a critical step in that process that I'm still going through, right? Like I'm healthy and I was healthy when I was racing triathlon. Like I didn't necessarily redevelop an eating disorder or anything like that. Like I did it in a pretty healthy way. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. I mean, there were times where it was unhealthy, where I was doing weird things with my food, you know, for performance, right. Yeah. It's always an excuse that exists, but yeah, um, it was never eating disorder, maybe disordered eating a little bit here and there, but nothing to the point where it was like me falling back into an eating disorder. I was still very healthy, but I think that you can be objectively quote unquote healthy in the eyes of many people and you can still be doing your sport for the wrong reasons Mm. you know and I I love racing triathlon and I probably still will um but I think that I need to approach it with a mentality of I'm doing this because I love it not because I have to be the best or because I have to hit every single training session perfectly, or I have to be this really, really fit person. That's like crazy doing all these Ironmans and all this stuff. Like I I love doing it. And so maybe I will, but I think that like rediscovering the joy in all of it is really important because that's why I started doing it in the first place. I didn't start doing it to go pro. I started doing it because I liked it. And then I was like, I'm good. So maybe I'll try and go pro. But then it became like an obsession with going pro and Mm -hmm. do whatever it takes and sacrifice anything to, to do that. And I don't, I don't think that it has to be that way in sport. 
That's so interesting because I think triathletes are their own type of breed. It's like ultra running totally. too, right? Yeah. You you have to, in a way, be a little bit type A with certain things mm-hmm. and um, finding a way to still have fun and play within the sport is so, so eloquent and beautiful. And I just am really excited about that mindset. I think that would be really hard for a lot of people to overcome, especially with being so close to pro. I mean, do you, or were you classified as pro? Did you no. get your race card? No, but no, it, I didn't. And hearing you talk about that, is it something that you think within this mind shift really, and this going back to just movement for your body and not giving yourself too much of a, um, I guess a timeline really, are you hoping to maybe be able to, to get your pro card? Like, is that still, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really, I haven't really decided, um, at this point, my answer would be no. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, it's funny. I was talking to, um, my friend Julia, who I co-host my podcast with, and I was talking to her about it and I was like, you know, it's crazy because I'm 28 and I've never pursued goals outside of athletics. Like, I don't even know what those are. Like, aside from like getting a college degree, right. Like doing well in school, like, but that, that stuff came pretty easy to me. Like school comes pretty easy to me. So yeah, it was a goal to like graduate and get a degree, but it wasn't like this thing that I was trying to achieve. That was like a lofty goal. And I've never really pursued any goals that are like that outside of athletics. And so it's, I am almost feeling like it's time for me to start doing that because it was always like, okay, for synchronized swimming, like, how am I going to be the best? Like, am I maybe going to go to the Olympics? I don't know. Like, okay, I want to go on scholarship to college. So I'm going to move away from home my senior year of high school, live with a host family and swim on a competitive team so that I can get a scholarship, which I did. And then I went and swam. Obviously that ended with an eating disorder for a variety of reasons, But then it was like, okay, now I'm recovering from this eating disorder. Now what's something else I can pursue, right? Mm -hmm. And athletics seemed like the natural trajectory for me. And and it was like, I sacrificed everything to that. It was, there was no room for career driven goals. Like, yeah, I have had a relationship. I'm now engaged, but like, it was, I mean, I hate to say this, but it was like, everything came second. Mm -hmm. to my sport. I sacrificed time with my partner to do a five-hour training ride on Sundays. Like all of these things that you sacrifice for this, like, and there is such a small percentage of people that actually make that happen, you know, and there's, it's not only hard work that goes into that. It's also genetics and, you know, how can you financially support yourself to make sure it happens and all of these things. And, you know, how long do you give yourself to sacrifice all of those things before you have to make the decision of like, am I going to, can I just do this for fun? And can I pursue other goals outside of this and just have sport be a part of my life, but not the only part of my life? We are getting into such good conversation right now, but we need to take a really quick break and check in with our sponsor, eBay Sneakers. 
eBay is the place to go. It is the original sneaker marketplace. eBay is where you can cop the pair you've been eyeing. Sneakerheads and just about anybody who loves rare, vintage, or retro sneakers, eBay is the place to go. And here are just a few reasons why eBay Marketplace is the best place to go for rare vintage sneakers. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. For sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers that are $100 or more, making it free, seriously, free, to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and a unique selection. So building off of that, I mean, you've kind of had two rounds, right? You've had synchronized swimming and then you've had um, your triathlon experience, both kind of taking a priority into your life. Do you see anything fruitioning within, you know, a personal career that you would apply certain things you've learned from your sporting experience and then anything that you kind of want to stay clear of? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I would say being more flexible in general is a good thing that I've learned. Like, I think that for people who are type A, for people who are you know, perfectionist, or like, I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's super, super easy to, when you set a goal to, again, like I said, sacrifice everything for it. And it's like, nothing else matters except for this goal that I'm trying to reach, which is great sometimes. But I also think that you have to be flexible within how you achieve that goal, right? Like what, what does the end goal look like? And, you know, there isn't just one way there. So like, if I'm going this one way and it's not working, can I be flexible enough to choose another way to get to the same goal? So just being more flexible in that, you know, like I like to race triathlon. So like, what does it look like for me to coming back to, to just like it? You know, like, yeah. d- like being the best doesn't always have to be the end goal. Yeah. Um, oh, I love so, that. Like, I, I, it's I, so hard though, right? It's so hard. Because <laughs> we all have an inclination to want to be the best. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Eddie the Eagle? <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. This it, movie. It's, it's great. So it, it's not a movie. It's real life. So there was a it's British a guy, movie. just a brief piece. <laughs> And I love it because you you had mentioned this one piece and I just think of Eddie the Eagle and it makes me smile so hard. <laughs> what is it? It was, you, you said that there's more than one way to get to your goal. Mm-hmm. And Eddie the Eagle, he was this guy who was trying to make the ski team and all he wanted to do was make the Olympics. Yeah. And he found a way to make the Olympic. He was terrible, by the way. He was like, Oh, I think I know this story. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. And yeah. so he found out that 
the British did support like long jump skiing. Yeah. And he went for long jumps. I from yes, I totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> Hugh Jackman so is the coach awesome. in the movie. <laughs> and so now he has the British record for long jump skiing because no Brit so ever awesome. did it. <laughs> I love yeah. that. That's so awesome. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if you like want to achieve something, like there are multiple ways to achieve mm-hmm. that. And like, but I think this is something that just occurred to me in this moment. I think that a lot of the time when we're trying to achieve a goal, like a huge goal, like being a pro athlete or, you know, getting a college degree or getting an advanced degree or whatever it may be. I think that oftentimes we're not really trying to achieve that goal. We're trying to like prove to ourselves that we're worthy. Mm -hmm. And so like, can we find that worthiness within ourselves without achieving these huge goals? And I think that sometimes finding that worthiness within ourselves or creating a practice around like, how do I reconnect with that? Even if I'm not always feeling that, I think that that can give us a lot more clarity on like what goals are actually going to be serving you in the long term. You know, like I don't have to prove anything. I am just worthy. And so now what does, if I know I'm innately worthy, then what decisions am I going to make? If I'm not trying to prove something to everybody else around me that I'm worthy, right? It's so freeing. That's a wonderful like feeling. I know it's so hard to get to that point, but it's so important. I absolutely adore that one. Speaking to your work ethic though, I wanted to make sure I share this because whenever (laughs) you know where I'm going with this, in 2014, when we met in DC, we were living in the same apartment complex and we- What a wild time. What a wild time. (laughs) And every morning, I think before six, we were the only people in in the gym. And I, that's an integral year for me for coming off of track and field. I was no longer an athlete and I didn't really know what to do with myself. I still needed to work out. And so I'd go every morning and I'm just putting that together right now, the timeline that, yeah, you were also going like, I mean, you had other things you were going through as well, but like the identity of not being an athlete and how we both really found again, an, an outlet, I suppose, to go out, to get, to go into the gym, but it also formed this weird little friendship that we just see each yeah. other we're super comfortable. And I was like, Hey, good morning. Um, and it became a part of my, my daily life, just like knowing you and, and seeing you in there. And it's so cool to hear your story. Now we've never had this conversation before. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know it's, it's crazy. And I think that, you know, kind of speaking to the whole, you know, being an athlete and then coming out of being an athlete, like when you're a competitive athlete, you're never taught what life is like after that. Like you're just like conditioned to be an athlete and that's all you are. And then that becomes your identity. And it's so hard because you're just like, well, then your sport ends and you're like, well, fuck now, who am I? You know, like, what do I do now? I don't, I don't even know how to exercise outside of a structured team plan. Like I still do that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's seriously so hard. I still am struggling with it. I'm trying to like, one thing that I've really been working on since I stopped like having a structured training plan for triathlon is like moving intuitively. So like Mm. when I wake up in the morning, like, okay, what do I feel like doing today? 
And like, sometimes it's a run, sometimes it's weightlifting, sometimes it's nothing. And like, that's totally cool. And like, obviously I have to plan some days if I want to go swim, there's only limited hours. So I got to be a little strict about that, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think that we need to do a better job of preparing athletes for what life is like beyond their sport, because we don't, in sport, we don't have a lot of agency because we have a coach that tells us what to do and we do it. And then we don't have any real agency in like making decisions about the movement and when we need rest. Cause we're told when we rest and all of these things that we never really learn. And I think that, I don't know if there's an answer, I don't know how it will be done, but, you know, teaching athletes that, you know, how to listen to their bodies more and how to navigate the space outside of strict team or individual sports with a plan. Like how do, how do we do that? You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that even go, it just extends years beyond leaving your sport. And one, one answer that I feel like I haven't, I feel like I've been wanting to ask this question and we need to completely clear it up. How did you get into triathlon? Um, yeah, so I, okay. So I stopped swimming. I went through a recovery program. I was running a little bit in that time. Um, and then one of my former teammates from, uh, Lindenwood, where I went to my freshman year of college, one of my former teammates did a half Ironman and I saw that she had done one and I was like, Oh, that seems kind of cool. Like I know how to swim. I know how to run. I could probably figure out how to, you know, ride a road bike theoretically. Yeah. Um, and so I just like looked into it a little bit, decided to sign up for one and just went for it. I don't know. And then I just, (laughs) I did one. I really liked it. I was like, I'm kind of good at this. Maybe I'll just like keep doing it and see what happens. And yeah five years later, I was still doing it. So, and just getting a little bit more ambitious with my goals and distances and all of that. I think it's always funny to you, your, your post of ending your try career was I'm selling my bike. Can you yeah. go into a little detail just about the connection to the bikes that triathletes have yeah, I know they drop absurd amount of money on bikes. Yeah, yeah. so they love expensive. it. They, they they love their bike. <laughs> so. Totally. Well, I think also like the bike and the triathlon is like a status symbol too. Like mm. I think that there is for a lot of triathletes because you'll see people who are like, I mean, no offense, you'll see people who are like mediocre athletes riding twelve thousand dollar bikes. I think it's more oh of a gosh. status symbol for a lot of people where they're like look at this expensive bike that I have, which is like, cool. If you have a lot of money and that's what you want to do. Excellent. Good for you. Um, but I think, so for me, you know, I, a lot of people are like, well, you can always just buy another bike. I'm like, yeah, I can buy another bike. Absolutely. That is very, a legitimate thing to say. Yeah. But for me, it was less about the actual material item, the bike, and more the symbolism of letting go of my pursuit of being a professional athlete really wow. is what it came down to. Okay. Because when I bought that bike, I remember telling my my best friend, Amber, I was like, this is the bike I'm going to go pro on. I remember wow. telling her that. And then, you know, 
two years later now, three years later, almost, it's like, I'm selling that bike and I'm not a pro. Right. So it's kind of like the whole symbolism of like the emotional investment that went into purchasing that bike and like just the, I don't know. It's just like your identity becomes so intertwined with. Honestly, it sounds like a book. Letting go of your bike. We might have to steal that for our title. <laughs> That's all her. <laughs> Letting go of your bike. Well, I've been, yeah. I've uh, I've dabbled in you know wanting to write a uh, write a book for a long time. So That's who awesome. knows? We found the title. Who, who there it is. it is. There it is. <laughs> we found it on this episode. I'll oh, give well, you credit in the forward. Oh yeah, oh, great. That would be perfect. That would be great. <laughs> you know what? And you talked about writing your book and you, but you also host a podcast and you are a huge advocate for body acceptance and just movement and understanding what goes into that. Can you talk a little bit or share a little bit more about that work that you're currently doing? Yeah. So where to start? Um, So yeah, my friend Julie and I host a podcast called Bodies in Motion and we originally started the podcast to kind of investigate Um, the way that athletics informs our relationship with food and our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we really have tailored a lot of our content to that, but as we've kind of done more and more interviews, we decided we want to start exploring a little bit more than that, more, you know, mental health in sport, sexual health in sport, women's health, Mm -hmm. all of those things that, you know, conversations feel really hard about, but they really shouldn't be. So we're just trying to normalize having those hard conversations and trying to bring a diverse array of perspectives in to talk about all of these things and how, how disordered eating and diet culture and mental health and all of these things impact athletic performance and, you know, how, how we just navigate the world in general. Um, Yeah, it's been super fun. We really love it. And we've had a lot of really awesome guests. We've had a couple Olympians on. We've it's been really really cool. So, um, and then as far as my like advocacy work, I was doing some body acceptance coaching for a while and have since backed off on that a little bit to invest more energy in my podcasts and things like that and be more. I've learned that I really enjoy doing stuff like this a lot more. I enjoy doing like advocacy work where I, you know, host events and do things like that and, you know, maybe write a book and all of these things, right? Like those things I'm, I really enjoy more and I still have some coaching clients that I love working with, but I've found that um, my heart feels more called to doing more of the, you know, group advocacy, education, things like that. But I mean, ultimately, I just feel like there's not enough conversation around our bodies and Mm -hmm. food and how sport and movement influences that. And, you know, these narratives around smaller is better and smaller is faster. And you're only worth something if you're living in your smallest body and all of these things that we're told day in and day out, you know, how do we have the conversations that are pushing back on that and, and normalizing the fact that everyone's body is different and you can still be an athlete and perform and be successful and worthy, even if you're not in the quote unquote societal ideal of a body, your body is going to change and that's okay. I always like to tell people that because I don't think that we're ever, we're never told that we're never told like, Hey, your body's going to change and you're going to look different. And that's not a bad thing. Like Mm -hmm. we're just taught like, well, if your body changes, then you got to fix it. 
because something's wrong with you. You're broken. And it's like, no, our bodies just change. Like we go through shit and, you know, we go through pandemics and stress when we go to college and stress when we start a new job. And, um, you know, we step away from sport. We come back to sport. We do all of these things and our body is going to change in accordance with all of those things. And if we're just beating the crap out of ourselves about it all the time, it's not going to lend us the compassion and the flexibility to actually really care for ourselves ultimately. I love being able to work from home, but sometimes I want to get out and enjoy the beautiful weather, the spring weather that we are about to start having. And when I want to work outside, I use one thing and one thing only, and that's my Skyroam Solis. The Skyroam allows for me to get a Wi-Fi hotspot anywhere remotely, and I can connect up to five different devices onto the Wi-Fi hotspot. Right now, you can go to skyroam.com and use the promo code ROAM, R-O-A-M, with B-R-O-O-K-E, ROAM with Brooke, for 20% off at skyroam.com. And you can also go outside and enjoy the beautiful weather wherever you are and work from anywhere. Again, that's skyroam.com, promo code ROAM with Brooke for 20% off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.